0: Welcome to Victory Church, whether you are with us in person or whether you're watching online, you can certainly be seated. We are packed on both ways. So if you're present with us today and you don't mind for a second, can you give me just a little shout? Come on, let's just give a little shout. Let everybody know we're here in this place. Yes, I love energy. I'm going to need energy because I need you talking back with me, ready to go. I'm fired up. I think this is a great word, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Again, to everybody, every Victory Church family member that's watching online, welcome. We can't wait to have you back here with us in person. As you can tell, we are operating in person with all the guidelines, all the safety things that we can do, so we'd love to have you back. Until then, keep joining us online and being a part of what God's doing right here, Smyrna, Tennessee, Victory Church. Uh, A couple of quick announcements, and we'll jump into the Word. If you are visiting with us, so whether you're visiting with us online or you're visiting with us in this place, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to put something on the screen. If you'll just text VICTORY18 to the number 31996, what that's going to do, that's going to send you a digital connection card. So we're trying our best to just be uh, as responsible as we can and and, and considerate as we can. And so that'll give you the opportunity to fill that information out on your own time. You don't have to touch anybody or get near you. You don't have to hug or kiss anybody. Uh, You can just fill that out and that'll give us the information and then we'll be able to follow up with you. We have a team member that'll contact you as well as shoot you just some information about what's happening and how you can get connected. Uh, we just love, if, if you are here in person and you don't mind, darling, I would love to meet you. And so after the, lo- or after the service, we'll be in the lobby and we'd love to just you know either high five you or, or air bump you, whatever it is that uh, is appropriate right now. But we just wanna meet you and say thank you so much for spending some time here with us at Victory Church. A couple other quick things. At Victory, we're about four things, growing, guiding, giving, and going. So we are all about growing in our knowledge of God, guiding people to freedom, giving out of our purpose, and then going and making a difference. And I really want to encourage, again, those of you that are here in person, those of you that are watching online, that, that you can still participate in all four of these Gs. So let me explain. When it comes to growing in God, one of the best things you can do for you and your family is be in tune to these Messages. We uh, twenty three weeks ago we started studying the book of John and it's been phenomenal. Have you enjoyed it? Has it been impactful for your life? And so keep watching those. Keep attending. You know, keep keep being here. Keep taking those in. Take notes. If you missed one, go back and watch it. Uh, if you haven't, you can go to our website. You can actually join the journey. Is what we're calling it. And throughout the week, I send extra information. I, I kind of talk about uh, some of the things that we didn't talk about, some of the verses we didn't cover, as well as we put study guides on our website every week that break down again some of the verses that I didn't get to um, because of, of time. And so encourage you to do that. Guiding, guiding to freedom is a little bit unique in this season. Because that's our small group ministry. We call them circles here at Victory. Obviously, it's a little bit on pause with everything that's going on. But there's still certain ways for you to do it. You can still you know, enjoy or invite your small group to come to church with you. You can invite your small group to come over to your house and watch service together. There's, there's smart ways to do it. And we know that there'll be a time and a season down the road that we can get back into the small group atmosphere. But until then, we encourage you to find creative ways to do that. Third is give. Uh, we we talk about giving in two areas. We talk about giving in finan- you know give financially, which you can certainly still do. You can do it online at our website. There will be a box in the back, a little little black box, if you're uh, wanting to give through a check or cash. Um, there's still ways for you to give. Again, like I said, online you can give. The other way is through your purpose, your talent. So it's from your time, your talent, and then of course your finances. And one of the ways that you can do that is by serving here at Victory in our dream team. Um, there are actually areas you can serve both in person and online. And so there are per- things in person right now. Kids ministry is opening. We're working on opening up our elementary ministry. Obviously, first impressions, production, worship, the whole nines. So again, if you're interested, you say, hey, I've been here for a while. I'm ready to serve. I'm new, but I want to serve. Or I used to serve on the Dream Team, and now I'm ready to get back. Again, you can text that same number. You can go to our website, connect. Anyway, you can talk to us out in the lobby. Just let us know so that we can get you on the right path. Last but not least is Go, which is our outreach focus. And I got two really cool announcements. Number one is this. Because of your faithfulness, um, it'll—I'll announce it this week coming up, or no, it, it, it'll be announced. Don't worry, uh, but. Because of your faithfulness, we were able to partner with Convoy of Hope and give and send money through the idea of, of tr- uh, trailer trucks with food and water to Texas. Okay, so obviously, as you know, that Texas kind of took it harder than we did, um, and I'm not by any means belittling what may have ha- happened to you through the weather, but certainly Texas experienced a lot of catastrophe. And so, be- again, because of your faithfulness and giving, and because of our commitment to always be outwardly focused, we sent a check to Convoy of Hope, and they'll be sending. Tra- to Texas filled with water bottles and food, and that's because of you. So come on real quick, give yourself a hand, right? Doesn't happen if it's not without you. And then uh, real quick, just a quick announcement, we'll jump into it. We're going to Costa Rica in 2022, yeah, yeah, and so I'm going to be talking a lot more about that down the road, but just wanted to... Throw that out there over the next couple of weeks and really encourage you to start looking into your passports. I was meeting with a friend of mine the other day, and we were like, we got to get our passports you know, renewed and all that and start saving money and be a part of it. All right, last but not least, um, Easter is coming. <laughs> it is on its way. April 4th is Easter Sunday. Uh, we will have an in-person service as well as an online service. In-person, we'll have an adult egg hunt. Oh, oh, Yeah. Thank you. That's a little bit late, but we're there. Okay, it's okay. Um, and then we'll also have a kid's egg hunt for all the children. Uh, and so that'll be here in person. we we'll want to encourage you to come be a part of that. If you, want, if you don't feel comfortable at the time, we will be creating these Easter uh, baskets, I guess you would say, that you can register for. We'll deliver them to your house, no cost for you, and you'll be able to do an Easter egg hunt right there in your home. And so we're doing our best to be able to give you either Easter here or Easter in your backyard. And so y'all be ready for that. We'll definitely need volunteers, so you'll see an opportunity to be able to register to serve if you're not serving now We'd love you to do that. Amen. Amen. Are you excited to be a part of a church that's doing so much? Come on. Even in the pandemic, we're we're, we're in the world. We're we're, in the world. We're we're, uh, in the country. We're out of the country. Uh, We're doing. Apparently, we're doing things not in the world. I don't know what that means, but there's so many different things happening, and I'm excited about it. You ready for the word? That's not exciting enough. Give me a little bit more. You ready for the word? All right, I feel, I feel like you're ready. All right, John chapter 18 is where we're at. John chapter 18, whether you have a paper Bible or you have your phone, whatever it is that you're using, turn to John chapter 18, and I'm gonna lay it out. We're in a series called The Journey, where we are going through the book of John, and we've talked recently about a lot of... Uh, I say difficult subjects, but really just subjects that we all need to know. We talked about how to know Jesus is the only way. We talked about how to know that you're praying correctly and what the reward is. That what reward of that is. We talked about how to reclaim your rhythm. We talked about the Holy Spirit and the kind of an introduction into who is he. We talked last week about unity and how Jesus prayed for oneness. And so today is a really interesting subject and kind of a vital moment that happened involving disciples, and I want to talk about it. So John chapter 18 let me explain what's happening in 18. You have two stories kind of going back and forth, okay? So one story is Jesus' perspective. He's been arrested, and so he's, you know, he's being tried and all these different things, so you're going kind of back and forth in that. The other story that's happening simultaneously is Peter being uh, questioned on whether or not he is a follower of Jesus. So those things are happening. They're actually happening simultaneously, but, you know, in Scripture, you're kind of going back and forth through the story. So again, uh, John chapter 18, I think we're going to pick up, go ahead and throw that Scripture up there for us. Uh, We're going to pick up at verse 15, and I'm going to read through 27, but there is a break if you're in your paper Bible because it's going back to Jesus' story and then coming back to Peter. So here we go. John chapter 18, verse 15 says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now, theologians believe that that was John himself, okay? So they believe that that's Peter and John, but we're just gonna go with what Scripture says, which is, calls, you know, leaves him unnamed. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus, and because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So this disciple, not Peter, went with Jesus into the courtyard. Peter stayed out. Peter had to wait outside at the door, the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So that's, those of you that went clubbing before you met Jesus, that's, that's the equivalent of your friend going in because they got connections, and then sticking their head out and going, hey, I got you in too, right? That's, that's kind of what happened. So then all of a sudden, the woman looks to Peter, and she says, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I'm not. Nope, I'm not. So it was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm, and then it skips, goes back to Jesus, comes back to Peter. says, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So he's standing around that fire with these people. And so now they asked him, hey, aren't you one of his disciples too? To which then Peter denies again, saying, I am not. Then he goes on to say, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him and said, well, wait a minute. Didn't I see him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Do me a favor if you can. I want you to look at somebody who's near you. I want you to tell them the title of my sermon. If there's nobody near you, scream it at the person closest to you. Look at him and tell them the title. Here it is, ready? Tell them, put it on repeat. Put it on repeat. Tell them, say, put it on Repeat. So I don't know how old everybody is, give or take a couple of years. I, I'm 36 years old. Um, got a couple of cheers, you know, like, oh, he's going to die soon. And so um, I, I remember, I've shared this with you, that a lot of times growing up when I wanted to listen to music, I had to take a cassette tape and record it from the radio. Do y'all remember that? You put the cassette tape in, you hit record, and so therefore any music you liked was on a cassette tape. So if you said, hey, I don't really want to listen to that song anymore, I want to listen to a different song, you had to what? You had to fast forward. You remember that? You had to like, and then you had to like guess. It was like, I think it might be done. play. Oh, it's too far. It's a disaster. And so, so then the Lord blessed us and brought out something called compact disc because I think what it stands for. Um, and it was CDs. Y'all remember CDs? All right. All, all my young folks who are into Spotify and social, or not social, but streaming, you have no idea what we're talking about. But CDs, they would look like DVDs. And you could put them in, and there was two really incredible things that came with CDs. Number one was the skip button. If you didn't like that song, you just skipped to the next song. But there was this other button that was often on your CD players. I don't know what it was called, honestly, but what I called it was the repeat button. And you could push it, and when you were listening to a song that you liked, you could push the button, and when that song ended, it would come back on and play again. So it would just constantly repeat that song over and over and over. I remember when I was probably, I don't know, 16, 17, and my song was All My Life by Casey and JoJo. You know that song? I would hit repeat. I'd be in my bedroom all my life. I need your Jamal up here to chill. Pray for like your mama, like you're close to me, you're like my father. Remember that? Remember that? Like, what is happening right now? What are we even talking about? Um. So, so I had this question: What was your song? What, what was your song that you put on repeat? You know, maybe it's some journey. I don't know. Maybe you're more of a journey person, depending on you know how old you are, how young you are. Maybe it's uh, uh what does the fox say? Dum, 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 no, okay. Uh, how many of y'all put the Greatest Showman soundtrack on repeat? Anybody? Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, nowadays, I I find about I found out my music from two different. People. One is our worship team. They'll come and say, You got to listen to this song. And I'll listen to it. I'm like, It's amazing. So I had the blessing on repeat forever. Um, and so and to the point to where the band's finally like, Can we just not do that song anymore? Uh, the other person I get my music from is Veda, my oldest. I always listen to music she's listening to. And I'm like, Oh, that's a cool song. Like Baby Yoda. Let's hit repeat on that, right? And just keep that going. And so, you know, there's just, it's just certain songs you want to skip through, certain songs you want to put on repeat. Interestingly enough, I feel like life is sometimes the same way. Like, like there are moments in life that we certainly wish we could just skip through, right? Or you just wish you could say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. If I could just hit that button and move on to the next one, that would be great. And, and there are also seasons in our life that we wish we could push repeat on that we could, have after we've experienced it, we could go back and experience it again. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was a family vacation. Maybe it was a Saturday, right, where you had nothing to do and that went way too quick because normally when we have fun, it goes way too quick and you just wish you could hit repeat and, and live it again. Anybody with me? You've, you've had those moments? Yeah. I think Peter had a lot of moments throughout his life that he would have put on repeat. For example, walking on water. I know he had a, a mishap there for a second when he began to sink, but let's be honest. Any of you ever walked on water? Me neither. I, I think if I did it, I would want to do it again, right? I, I would want that moment, if nothing else, to show people. Be like, oh, you think you're holy? I walked on water. Watch this. You know what I mean? I would just, just want to put it on repeat. I, I think when Peter preached and thousands of people gave their heart or started to follow Christ, I, I think that's a moment he would have wanted on repeat. I think there were, probably when Jesus took his boat and preached in his boat, I think he probably would've wanted that on repeat. I just think there's moments that were so cool that he would've loved to just, let's just put that on repeat. Meanwhile, there are also moments in his life that I think that he would not have wanted to put on repeat, he would've wanted to skip. And this is one of those moments. This is a moment where Peter, famously known And and to people who have read the Bible or who just hear it through churches or whatever, where Peter denies Jesus. And when it comes to Peter denying Jesus, one thing that you and I can be certain of is that Peter never thought that this would happen to him. This this was not something that Peter ever saw happening to him. And I'm going to prove it to you in a little bit by some of the things Peter said, but he never saw this happening. This was not on his, his radar. This was not on his schedule. This was totally out of the blue. Therefore, listen to me, when it comes to you and it comes to me, I think this supports the fact that you and I can be as confident as we want to be, but we will all have moments where we fail. I think we can be as confident as you want. I think you can compare yourself to whoever you want to compare yourself to. But I think you and I need to sit down for a moment And have a reality check that we are all going to have moments where we fail. Moments where we are coming up short. Moments where we miss the target. In fact, to give you the significance of the rooster crowing uh, that we read in John 18, there's actually a part in the Bible where Jesus predicted Peter denying him. Uh, To give you the context, they're all hanging out, they're getting ready to eat the Last Supper, and the disciples are coming in, and one author says that um, the disciples came in arguing, some of them did, came in arguing about who was the better disciple, right? Can you imagine that scene? Like, they're coming like, I'm better than you, no, I'm better than you. Uh, And then Jesus, he wants to give them all a reality check. So he starts to say, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to leave. You're going to do this. And all of a sudden, Peter steps up and starts to say, no, 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 no. This isn't happening. Kind of a over my dead body kind of statement. I almost named the sermon I'm Feeling Myself. Because that's what I feel like Peter was doing in this moment, right? He's, he's like feeling himself. He's like, no, 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 no. I got this. It's under control. Like, none of this is going to happen. And Jesus realizes I've got to straighten him out. I've got to let him know. That whatever he thinks is going to happen is not going. I have to give him a reality check. So Jesus says, listen to me, Peter. Not only are you going to fail me, you're going to do it not once, not twice, but three times. And here was the kicker. He said, and you'll do it three times before you hear the rooster crow, which means it's evening And you'll do it before the next morning. Could you imagine that reality check? Not only am I realizing that I'm not as awesome as I thought I was, but you're telling me that now I'm going to fail you three times? Not over my life. Not, Not three times between now and my death, but three times between now and breakfast? What a reality check. So I kind of wanted to answer this question for us today. What do we do when we know that we're supposed to be different and we want to believe that we are, but we cannot shake the fear that we haven't changed at all? What what do we do with that? What what do we do when, when... we know that we've experienced Christ and now we're following Christ and we're a Christian who goes to church, reads their Bible occasionally, prays occasionally. Well, what do we do with that when we know because of that we're supposed to be different? And we honestly believe that we are. Like there's certain things about us that are different. We don't, you know, we don't really cuss people out on the interstate anymore. We, we don't really, you know, there's certain things we don't really do. We, we really believe we're supposed to be different. We kind of believe we are, but we, we, we fight this fear that we haven't really even changed at all. I started thinking about all the songs I had on repeat growing up. One of them was a song by a guy named Genuine, and it was called Same Old G. Even though I got my own CD, maybe even on TV. No? Nobody's with me? Okay. I need to go back to Memphis. Um, there's no change. He goes, there's no change in me. I'm the same old G. Thank you, Eric. I see you over there. We'll listen to it when we leave. Don't worry. I want to talk to you for a moment about this idea. It's the same old me. It's the same old me. How do you answer that question when you think, man, I'm supposed to be different. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son of God. I'm supposed to be different, but I feel like the same old me. Paul says something to the church in Corinth. As you know, we've talked about this. The apostle Paul is, is planting churches. He plants one in an area called Corinth and he writes letters to them and they're recorded in the Bible under the, the, the title Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians, second Corinthians. And he says something to them in chapter five of second Corinthians, uh, the verses 16 and 17. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So he's, Jesus has resurrected. We're regarding no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. And then here's the kicker. Ready? Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, have you heard this verse before? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is—it's come. It's here. Anybody who is in Christ, they're a new creation. This is a promise that Paul gives us, that once you are in Christ, and we've been talking a little bit about that, abiding in Christ, and Christ therefore abiding in us, Paul says once you're in Christ, you are now a new creation, and the old you is gone, and the new you has come. When I read this promise from Paul, it seems instantaneous, right, That, that, like the moment I accept Christ, or the the moment I begin to follow Jesus, or the moment I attend church, or the moment I start to read my Bible and pray, that I should be new. That's what I feel like Paul is saying. Yet I find myself, and and if you don't feel this way, you can separate for a moment. I find myself wondering if I'm new, then why do I still raise my voice at my kids? If I'm new, then why do I say things that I regret? If I'm new, why do I battle with insecurities, right? Why do I struggle with my pride? Why do I get angry? Why do I do, if I'm new, why do I, why do I keep repeating habits that hurt myself and the others around me? Anybody there? If I'm new, why do I keep doing these things. Now, I studied Peter for this sermon pretty in depth, and one of the things that I thought was interesting about Peter is I told you before that he, I felt like he was filling himself, and the reason I say that is almost everything Peter says in the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—changes a little bit after he experiences the Holy Spirit, starts to preach the gospel. But, but in those Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—almost everything Peter says is something that is contradicting what Jesus says. So, for example, there was one time where Peter told Jesus, uh, Jesus was like, everybody will leave me. And, and Peter says, "They can. everybody can leave you, but I won't. Right? It was like, he said, everybody. It doesn't matter. Everybody can abandon you, but I won't. There was another time where Peter told Jesus, I, I, I'll, if you're arrested, I'll be arrested. If you die, I'll die is what Peter told him. There's one time, you might know this time, it's pretty famous, where Jesus was explaining that he's going to the cross, and Peter kind of illustrated it by physically getting in front of him. And he's like, you're not going to the cross. almost to say, you know, no, you're not doing this. Like, we're not going to let it happen. And Jesus, again, says, get behind me, Satan. And then what was referenced in 18 with the cutting of the ear When Judas betrayed Jesus and turned him in and the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, um, Peter grabbed his sword and jumped in front of him and cut off a guy's ear in defense to not allow them to get Jesus. So if you just kind of follow the pattern of Peter all throughout the New Testament, watch this, Peter talks bigger than he is. He says things that aren't really what he's going to actually do. He's acting new, right? He's doing these things. He's talking bigger than he is. And I think it's because, this is just my perception, I think it's because like us, like you, like me, he feels the need to convince himself that he is a new creation because he still feels like the same old him. I think he's doing these things. I think he's overcompensating. I read an article by a psychologist that said that overcompensation is the like, number one uh, defense mechanism. That is what people use, that when somebody begins to feel inferior or insecure about an area, they will actually overcompensate or over-exaggerate to make themselves feel superior in an area where they actually feel insecure and inferior. So, for example, just just throwing some random examples someone who doesn't feel attractive, someone who thinks they are not attractive, they are are insecure about their looks, they might over-exaggerate or over-compensate things to try to make you think they think they're attractive, right? They'll do things, makeup or clothes or whatever the style, haircuts, whatever the style is, or they'll walk around letting you know, oh, you know, so-and-so looked at me, they hit on me. Because they're trying to overcompensate for their actual insecurity. I'm not saying they are or aren't unattractive. I'm telling you what they think. They think deep down that they're not, so they overcompensate to feel superior that they are. Someone who doesn't feels like they don't have a lot of education. If they get around people and they feel like now they're inferior or insecure about their education, they will overcompensate to look educated. right? Is this, is this making sense? We're going right y'all with me? Now you could kind of see how this could be Peter. That if Peter is insecure about this new creation thing, if Peter is insecure that he's the same old him, because again y'all, Peter came from the streets. Peter was not a theologian that Jesus found on a church pew. He's a very real guy. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how he probably said some bad words and had some inappropriate thoughts. And I just think there were moments where Peter felt insecure about being this disciple of Jesus, this new creation. And so, therefore, he had to say things and overcompensate so that he felt and looked superior when actually he was inferior. So, let me ask you this Do you define yourself by your lowest point or your highest achievement? When it comes to you and, and how, and when, when somebody interacts with you, not, not on a stage, not, not, in a, not in a work environment, but just you, you at home, on the weekends, and it's you, how do you define yourself? Is it by your lowest point or is it your highest achievement? Do, do you find insecurities because of this low point? Do you overcompensate because of a high achievement? What? What if I told you that they're both dangerous? Here's why they're both dangerous. Because the truth is, you will fail at something. But it is also true that your failure is not final. So the truth is, you're going to fail. So be careful with the highest achievement. But it's also true that your failure is not final. So be careful with the lowest point. What if we see failure different than God does? What if the way, when when we fail, when 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 we are going down the path and we jump off the path for a moment, when we make a mistake, when we miss the target, when we come up short, what if that failure, what if God sees it different than us? Listen to this. What if to us, failure is an unfortunate revelation that we are not as strong as we thought we were? It's kind of what failure is for us, right? You don't fail and you're happy about it. It's an unfortunate revelation that, man, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And what if to God, our failure is a fortunate revelation that he is made stronger in our weakness? All right, let's break it down for a little bit. For us, it's unfortunate. Why? Because we just realize that we aren't as awesome as we thought we were that we're not as strong as we thought we were, that we're not as perfect and as holy as we thought we were. It's an unfortunate revelation. Meanwhile, God sees it as fortunate because he says, yes, they're finally realizing that, they, that the weaker they are, the stronger I am. He doesn't see it the way that we see it. The, the moment that the rooster crowed, Peter could either see his denial as failure to be what God wanted him to be, or evidence that Jesus didn't expect him to be perfect. It's his choice. I had this statement, and put it in my notes, that you get to choose how you filter failure. It's either a filter to allow you to see that, hey, you know what, Jesus never expected me to be perfect to begin with, or... You filter it through, oh, wow, I'm a failure, and I never reached the potential that God had for me. Can I, let me break it down, because some of that might be a little theological, theologically questionable. Let me give you kind of an illustration, and just go with me for a second. How many of you are parents in here? If you're a parent, raise your hand. Let me see your hands. Okay. I'm going to give you an illustration. In this illustration, you see yourself as the parent and see one of your kids as the kid, okay? All of you who are not parents, in the illustration, I want you to see yourself as the kid and see your parents as the parent. Does that make sense? So if you're a parent, you know what I'm about to say. You've been in a moment like this, so you're, you're seeing it through you and your kid's eyes. If you're not a parent, you have, you've lived this illustration, but you've lived it from the other side, which is the kid talking to the parent, okay? Here's the illustration. When, when a kid fails their parents, either disobedience, uh, you know, they did something they weren't supposed to do, or they didn't do something they were supposed to do, when there's a moment of failure between a kid and a parent, for some reason, the kid often over-exaggerates the failure. You, you, you'll see this, and again, if you're a parent, I think you'll agree with me, to where almost the kid is like, don't hate me, mom, right? Don't hate me, dad. Don't, don't give me away. Like there's this exaggeration of their failure, like as if we're, we're willing to kind of ship them off and get another kid because they failed. It's just an exaggeration in their mind. Am I Right? I've talked to people before that talk about whenever they failed their parents as kids, they remember how disastrous it was to them emotionally. So it's often the kid's point of view. Now, you may not agree with the parent's point of view, but this is my point of view as a parent. Most of the time, if not all of the time, when my kids fail, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if I was honest, I, I kind of expected them to. You know, I mean, like they do things, you're like, they're three. You know what I mean? Like, ah, oh, she's seven. Ah, he, he's 10. Even as a teenager, I think you start to go, yeah, but they're a teenager. I, I've watched my mom and dad give me grace, I'm 36 years old. And they'll be like, oh, but he's only 36. And I'm like, uh, that's, that's a bad thing, right? But I, I just think that the relationship often with the parent is like, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm upset that you failed. Because you're missing out on something that's great for you, but I'm—I don't, you know—I kind of get it. I'm the parent; you're—you're you're the kid. I get it, and I don't know if you agree with me where I'm going, but just take that illustration and apply it to us and God. That when we fail, we come to the table as if, like, God, don't get rid of us, don't don't send us off, don't don't, don't abandon us, because we 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 overexaggerate. Our, our shortcoming, our failure. Meanwhile, I, I think God is like, I mean, kind of expected it. I mean, I did send my son to die for you before you were ever even born. I kind of, kind of expected it. Now, it's unfortunate because you're missing out on something great for you, but I don't want to get rid of you. And I think it's some of this misunderstanding where shame and guilt begin to come. And I think we got a lot of people who love God and who are following Jesus and they're walking around with shame and guilt because at some point they miss the mark. And I think if we are dealing with shame or we're dealing with guilt, listen to me, it's because we continue to overestimate our holiness and underestimate God's grace that was the illustration with the parent and the kid. That kid is overestimating his maturity or her, her goodness. And if, we are, if, we're, if we're surrounded by shame and by guilt, it's often because you and I have at some point overestimated our holiness. We thought we were better than we actually are. We thought we were greater than we actually are. And when you take an overestimation of your holiness and you match it with an underestimation of God's grace and love and forgiveness, the only thing you can have is shame and guilt. And so I want us to get to a place where we can, we can estimate it right when it comes to God's grace and estimate it right when it comes to our failure. Now, please listen to me. Uh, sin is, is, I'm not talking about getting to a place where, where you, uh, oh gosh, how does Paul say it? Where you cheapen Grace. To a place where you sin because you know your Father forgives you. That's not what I'm talking about. But I know people who are trying really hard, and then there's a moment where they just slip up, have a mistake, mess up. Peter was doing a lot with Jesus. He had left his family, he had left his profession, and then all of a sudden, he makes a mistake. And I'm talking about in those mistakes, you and I should hate sin because God hates sin. We don't want to be sinners, but in the moments where we're trying hard and we slip up, the world wants to give you shame and guilt, and they want you to overestimate your goodness and underestimate God's grace. So I was really wrestling with this because I I thought this might have been really strategic by Jesus. All right, let me explain. We've been talking for four or five weeks now that Jesus is getting ready to leave, right? Right? He's getting ready to go to heaven, be at the right hand of the Father. He's going to leave the disciples. I I started wondering, is it possible that Jesus knew? You know, when my disciples failed before or messed up before, I was always there to affirm them, but now I'm leaving. And we talked about the Holy Spirit coming to, to do what Jesus did last couple weeks ago. But what if Jesus was like, you know what, I need, I need to help them learn how to process and work with the possibility of shame and guilt. Because if I'm gone and I've trusted the gospel to them and they get out there and they mess up, if they don't know how to operate this, they could be overwhelmed by shame and guilt and then turn away from the mission that I put them on, which was to share the gospel. There are a lot of people right now who won't share the gospel because they don't think they're good enough to share the gospel. Right? I think Jesus was saying, hey, I got I to put something in place so that my disciples know how to navigate through the potential of shame and guilt, all right? And I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you what it is, what I think is like the foundation of it, and then I'm going to show you where I got it from, all right? You ready? Here we go. When it comes to you and I overcoming shame and guilt, I think the foundational step is for you and I to believe we belong, I think what what, what really gets us to a place where we start to struggle with shame and guilt is we have stopped believing that we belong to God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Peter is, is, you know, there, he's present in the courtyard, and the questions start coming. And the first girl says, you're not one of his disciples too, right? And then, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. And the next question comes, you're you're not one of his disciples. Every time that he's asked one of his disciples, it's possessive language. Are you one of his? Are you his? The the concept of discipleship in that day, the way it would happen is you would find the rabbi that you would follow. And and they would say things like, you were so close to him, the dust from his sandals would get on you. Like it was an idea that you like, you attached your life to him. Almost to the point that when someone asked you, uh, you know, about your, you know, your discipleship process, you would say, I'm a disciple of so-and-so. You were attaching, uh, attaching this possessive language, this possessive relationship. I am his. I belong to him. So what they're asking is, hey, do, do you belong to Jesus? And he's saying, I know. Our problem has never been in doubting God. It's in doubting ourselves, right? When Jesus is asked, I'm sorry, when Peter is asked and he denies, watch this, he did not deny believing in Jesus. He didn't deny believing in him. He didn't deny the miracles of Jesus. He didn't deny that he had served Jesus. He didn't deny the teachings. Of Jesus, And he did not even deny loving Jesus. He denied belonging to Jesus. Did you catch it? The, the problem here is not that Peter said, no, 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 I don't believe in Jesus. It's not what happened. He didn't say, no, no, I don't think any of those miracles really happened. It's not what happened. There was a possessive moment where he had to admit that he belonged to Jesus. Jesus. And that's where he struggled. And he hesitated and said, nah, nah, I I don't. And I think often where you and I trip up is when we've assessed the fact that we're supposed to be a new creation but we still feel old, and we've seen our mistakes, and our failures, and our mishaps, and we start to believe that we're too bad to belong. You know what I mean? Like, too bad to belong. When we feel overwhelmed by yesterday's mistakes, we will feel underqualified for tomorrow's opportunities. When you feel overwhelmed, by the mistake that you made, you'll feel underqualified to be able to say, you know what, I belong to Jesus. I'm a son of God. You start to feel too bad to belong. Now, okay, okay, okay. This was my favorite revelation of this. I almost did the whole sermon around this, but I felt like maybe it's possible I was more excited than you would be, okay? But, but let, me, let me set this up. When, when Peter fails, when he denies Jesus... You can say that Peter fell from a pedestal, okay? He, there was this pedestal that he was on, and when he, when he denied Jesus, he failed, he fell. So when he failed, he fell, right? Now, here's what I realized. The pedestal that Peter fell from was a pedestal that Peter built for himself. Jesus never expected Peter to do any of those things. Jesus said, you know, everybody's going to do it. Peter said, no, 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 not me not me. Peter's over there. Jesus, I'm going to be arrested with you. I'm going to die with you. You're not going to the cross on my watch. And he built this pedestal and he climbed up it himself. And then when he denied Jesus, he fell off of it and he beat himself up about it. But the pedestal that he fell off was a pedestal he built for himself. (laughs) Jesus never expected him to go to the cross with him. He never once expected him to be arrested with him. He never expected him. Matter of fact, I I mean, it's proven he didn't expect him to stop the process of the cross. Because number one, it had to happen. Number two, because he said, you better get behind me, devil. This is not Jesus's expectation on Peter. It's Peter's expectation on Peter. And so all this shame and this guilt that's falling onto Peter's shoulders, Jesus never had anything to do with it to begin with. It's Peter. How many times have we allowed our pride to build a pedestal that we get up on? And then when we make a mistake, we fall off the pedestal. And then we're mad at ourselves for falling off the pedestal that we built. And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, What are you doing? I came to prove to you one thing, and that is that you can't do it without me. And so, what does Peter do? Peter runs back to the very place that he was before he ever met Jesus. I think when you and I fail, when we make mistakes, I think we allow that to be put on repeat. And it doesn't matter how many times people tell us about God's grace. We take that and we run with it. Come to church all the time, but it's on repeat. And so then we do like Peter. We go back to where we were before we ever met Jesus, right? Oh, I can't do it, so I'm not even going to try. Peter goes all the way back to where he was fishing the day that he met Christ. My fear is there's a lot of people out there who have come across Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus and the love and purpose of Jesus. And somehow, maybe they were excited. Maybe they did truly feel some change. And so they kind of over-exaggerated themselves and built this pedestal. And then something happened. They made a mistake, and And they got up, and they looked at the pedestal, they fell off, and all of a sudden, it (laughs) went on repeat. And it's been on repeat ever since. And so they run back to the only place that they can stop the song is the place before they ever met him. I'm reading a book right now called Win the Day by Mark Batterson. It's a really good book. He tells a story in one of the chapters about this sport. I'd never heard of it um, it's, it's, it's a yachting sport, probably because I'm not rich, but it's a yachting sport. And uh, it's been around since the 1800s. And it tells a story about when it started, its championship is called the America's Cup. You know, that's like their Super Bowl or whatever. That's their, that's their championship trophy. And ever since it started, there has been one team, one team, since it started 1851, I think is when it was, one team won it every year. Every year, the same team won the America's Cup. Watch this, for 132 years, that team won that championship. It is to this day, the longest winning streak, winning streak in sport. Okay, 132 years, same team, same team, same team. 1983, I think it was, the Austria two won. Finally, somebody else won the trophy. 132 years later, somebody else won, and they went and they tried to grab the crew and the, the captain and everything, and they interviewed them. I said, man, how how did you do that? Like, how do you you even get excited? How do you even have faith that you can win something that the same person has won for 132 years? Like, how did you do that? And the captain said, here's what we did. He said, three years ago, we went and recorded us winning the race. So we got in the water, we got in our boat, we made all the sounds of, of the water, sounds of the boat, we were screaming. We recorded us winning. He said, we put it on CD or whatever it was, and I don't know how they did it then, and and we made our crew listen to it twice a day for the past three years. We made them put it on repeat, and he said, they have heard themselves win over 2,000 times. Do you know how many times they probably went up to somebody and said, hey, we're racing for the America's Cup next week, and somebody said, for what? For what? For what? So-and-so's won it 132 years. They make Tom Brady, LeBron, Jordan, everybody together look like a joke. They've won it for 132 years, and you think you're going to do something different? You know how many times they had that song on repeat? But that captain knew that if you've got one thing on repeat, the only way that you can overcome that one thing is you got to put something else on repeat, Right? Because the only way you come over this is if you got something else. So he said, look, I'm going to record you winning. And I want you to play it over and over and over and over and over until this repeat stops and this repeat starts. And it wasn't automatic, but it eventually got in them. And then the next thing you know, they break this record. Peter denies Jesus. Jesus dies. Jesus stays dead. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal, because all you did was deny someone who was apparently lying anyway. But when Jesus resurrected, it had to be terrible. Could you imagine, knowing that you were right there with the Son of God and in your hardest moment, you failed? And then you have this emotion where you think, oh, well, maybe maybe it wasn't him. And then he resurrects, and oh, so Peter goes back fishing. I would love for you to just, over the next week, just sit in this for a moment and imagine Peter's emotions sitting in that boat. I don't even think he was fishing. I think he just had a pole in the water, a net, whatever. I don't know what you did back then, but I think he was just like in this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt. Replay. Just staring in the water. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice. Finds out it's Jesus. And Jesus invites him for breakfast. And he jumps off the boat. He swims over to the beach. And Jesus cooks up some fish. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, oh, so much. So much. He says, man, I've been fighting this for days. I, I can't even, I don't even know what happened to me. I just, you know, I I thought I was stronger, and then I got in that moment, and the moment my accountability got, I was scared, I was worried, they had you. I didn't, I didn't, I just, I don't know what happened. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, I love you. Peter denied him three times. So Jesus asked him three times. Because if you've got it on repeat, the only way that you can overcome shame and guilt that repeat is to put something else that matches it on repeat. I denied you, but you love me. I denied you, but you love me. I denied you, but you love me. And eventually, whichever one that's stronger will eventually overcome the one that's weaker. And it may not be at first, and it may be three years later, but the thing that you couldn't beat, the thing that people said, I don't even know why you're trying that thing eventually is overcome by the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And it starts with you no longer over-exaggerating who you are and missing out on who he is. So I want to do something for you, and this is how I want to end the service. 1 John 4, 4 says something pretty powerful. Again, John sets down his experience with Jesus, all that he's lived ministry wise. And he sums it up by saying, But you, but you belong to God. You belong to God. My dear children, you've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. If the foundation of our shame and guilt is having a hard time believing that we belong to God, that Is what's on repeat. And John said, let me give you something else to put on repeat. You belong to God. You've already won the victory. Jamal, come here. You belong to God. And you've already won the victory. But I, and I don't, mm, but I, and I don't, but I, and I don't, You belong to God. You've already won the victory. I'm literally ready to give you an opportunity to be set free today. Not just from the past or the present, but the future. Because you will fail, but your failure is not final. And if you're not careful, you're going to let that failure create shame and guilt. And it's going to convince you that you don't belong to God. And that's going to be on replay in your heart. Meanwhile, John says, hey, forget that. Look at this and put this on replay. Close your eyes for a moment. You ready? We got a little anthem for you. Father, we thank you right now for everything that you're doing, for everything that you've done in this message, for every person who's been in shame, who's been in guilt, because maybe they failed, maybe they messed up. Father, I pray that one of their foundational stories would be that of Peter. Not just him denying you, but Father, you reinstating him. That they begin to believe that they belong, not because of who they are, but because of who you are. That it would become less about who they are and more about whose they are. And that, Father, this anthem, this idea, this mindset that I belong to you would become repeat in our hearts.